The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I'm Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. As today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions, and the number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So there's this prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And this prayer tells us to be open to wisdom so that we can discern what is ours to do and what is not. Many of us in recovery have experienced the results of questionable decisions we have made, sometimes even made repeatedly. But fortunately, we grew tired of living that way. So how do we move away from bad decisions, bad relationships, and bad situations? Today, we want to share practical ways you can do just that and experience new levels of joy and freedom in your life. So, Dan, I've known that prayer since I was a child, but I never really knew what it meant because to me, wisdom meant I needed more information, more facts, more experience, more knowledge, or something. I didn't have any serenity and not much in the way of courage. So I I don't know um, how this experience works for you. Well, I think I can affirm the same thing. Uh, certainly uh, when I was younger and definitely when I was in uh, active addiction, I'm not sure how much wisdom I had to apply. And, and maybe there was some for some aspects of my life. But then again, uh, when I think back, asking myself, um, you know, what what kind of bad decisions uh, can I see in my past? And I certainly see them. And it, it, this, I was reminded of the song lyric from that Queen song, We Are the Champions. It goes, and bad mistakes, I've made a few. I like that. Kind of, it feels like sort of an understatement. I noticed um, when I think back that some some dubious decisions that I made, some bad situations that I created uh, happened slowly, and some of them happened very quickly. Uh, I remember once, for example, and and this might stick in my head because I was terrified at the time, but I had decided 
it was a good idea to drive from Ann Arbor, Michigan to East Lansing, Michigan in a snowstorm. And I'm on the highway and I'm thinking, oh, well, my vehicle is four wheel drive, so I'll be all set, like as if that makes me impervious to weather. Well, halfway up there, it was, uh, I was somewhat less impervious to weather. And there was a moment where I thought, I am in great danger of sliding off of this road into that ditch in between the lanes. And boy, that had my attention. So that, that feels like a, you know, very sudden, quick, short cycle, very bad decision that I made. Fortunately, I didn't wreck, but I mean, I feel like flip a coin could have gone either way. Uh, so that's one example of a bad decisions I've made. What what about you? Have you always made good decisions? Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. In fact, you reminded me of something. You said um you were terrified uh during that time frame and and what I, you know, that that reminded me of two things. One is that it seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. That is a phrase that runs through my mind later. You know, after the fact, when I'm reflecting on this situation, a particular decision that I've made, and then know that the outcome is not what I wanted or expected. You know, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and I have learned that when that phrase visits my mind, I am looking at a decision made in insanity, you know, one way or another. And and the other thing you mentioned was being terrified. You know, and I have found that a lot of my bad decisions are made out of um impulse based on an emotion, uh, which is a bit different. Yours was a result of taking a decision, you know, get on the road in the ice storm, uh, as opposed to feel something and then take a, take an action. Mm. Yeah, you know, I can see that. Yeah, for me, impulsive purchases are like that. I'm feeling restless, irritable, and discontent, and I just start uh, browsing on, on the internet, or I decide to, oh, just drop into the mall someplace, and, you know, it takes my mind off of what I'm feeling at the moment, um, and I and I buy something that I maybe don't need. Yeah, like a car. I've done that. <laughs> like a car. I've done everything from, you know, Amazon.com plus alcohol is a very bad combination, I found. And, you know, most of the things like that, because I've had those same experiences, uh, it's almost like using shopping or purchasing something as a distraction, you know, a temporary feel good uh, for a few moments. And most of that stuff that I did was not monumental. Um, but I, I do think that I have made a decision about uh, buying a car. I'm trying to think back. Maybe one one comes to mind. That car that I was driving in the ice storm, buying that car was probably a bad idea. Uh, that's been years ago. But, yeah, that's another thing that happened suddenly. I've had slowly things that happened slowly, like a f- failed marriage. Um, that wasn't a uh, decide in the morning and face the consequences in the afternoon. You know, that was something that developed over a uh, year's time. And if I'm, if I'm being honest and I find my part in all of that, then my part includes some, some pretty bad decisions that I made along the way. You also mentioned um, rotating addictions. In so many words, you know, I have found that when I first got into recovery, I 
I knew that I wasn't going to drink again. I wasn't going to do any drugs again. I, that was not an option, but I did not know what else was an option. And I found that I started making bad decisions, being pushed by this this um, restless, irritable, and discontent feeling that kept coming up. It's, I got to do something. I'm antsy. I'm, I can't live in my own skin. Well, it seems like a good idea at the time. It's, well, let's get in a relationship. Okay. Well, that didn't work out so good. Okay, great. Let's go shopping. Well, that didn't work out so good. Now I owe a ton of money, you know. Okay, well, let's let's become a chef and work on cooking. Well, I just gained 80 pounds. You know, <laughs> I mean, each time I had to have something to focus on, something to take my mind off of me. Um, Video games was another thing. I dove head-on into video games and played them 12 hours a day every waking moment, and they consumed my mind because I had nothing else to focus on at that point uh, other than staying away from the drink or drug. Yeah, and uh, I can relate with that. I think some of those things, um, in my experience, have been uh, what I would call positive, meaning you know, if I can – if playing a game on my phone, for example – uh, would keep me from uh, taking a drink, then I, I call that a win. You know, and anything mm-hmm. that keeps me from taking a drink is a win. I remember early in sobriety, there was someone in the rooms who had uh, a tremendous amount of time, and he said something that always stuck with me that I have repeated that helped me a lot early on, which is he said, if your head hits the pillow at the end of the day and you didn't take a drink, you win. No matter what else happened, no matter what else happened. And I thought, that's a simple criteria that I can live with. I had a friend who, um, you know, many of us, especially if our addiction is alcohol, when we stop, uh, we go crazy with the sugar, right? Because the alcohol will break down into sugar. And we, you know, personally, I genuinely have had uh, a sugar addiction, I think, that I have um, worked on and made some headway on. But I had a friend in early sobriety beating himself up for eating too much hard candy, complaining, I keep eating all this candy. And I had to tell him, you know, hey, man, I don't consider that a bad thing. If you're staying sober in the first six months, the first 12 months of your sobriety, and you happen to be eating a lot of candy, you know, let's worry about that later. You know, the, some of these things, uh, I think we need to deal with them in sequence. That's a really good point because I think that what happens is people get clean and sober and then they want to change their life overnight. Yeah. It didn't It didn't get in the toilet overnight, you know. I mean, it was a series of bad decisions, a series of events and circumstances and thought patterns and behaviors and all of those kind of things that, that caused the descent to the point where we want to live a different life and find a different way. And so, um, you know, I, I know that... Um, for me, I wanted to quit all these bad habits the day after I got clean and sober. Well, it didn't work that way. And I think that's part of what caused my rotating, I'll call them addictions at this point, you know, where I was putting my focus was because I just couldn't land on something. I was trying to do everything all at once. And so I think it's a very valuable point that we need to do first things first and only focus on one thing at a time. And when we got that under our belt, then we think about what's the next most destructive thing I'm doing in my life that I can change. Yeah, I have a good friend that uh, used to say, I deal with my addictions in the order in which they'll kill me fastest. And uh, alcohol, top of the list for me and and for her. And uh, when I got sober, she had been sober for some time, maybe almost even 10 years when I got sober. And uh, when I got sober, I started smoking 
cigarettes again. I had done that earlier in my life, but I'd been quit. I quit smoking cigarettes for eight years and then I got sober. And then just like you're describing, I'm reaching for something and it's not, it's not a drink. And so that's better than, than a drink. And I saw her. We don't live in the same town, but I saw her over the summer and she saw me smoking and she walked up to me and what she said was whack-a-mole. You know that game, Whack-A-Mole, where the mole uh pops its head up and you smack that one with the mallet, and then another one pops up over here and you smack that one with the mallet? I knew exactly what she was talking about, and I laughed and said, yeah, that's exactly it, Whack-A-Mole. Now, I have quit smoking since then, but I'm going to tell you it took years, years, like about eight years before I could set tobacco down. I mean, that that was surprising to me, but I've heard that from others, even that same time frame. You know, maybe if you're if you're sober and you're worried about something like smoking cigarettes, mm, why don't you let's set that aside until you're five years sober and then take it up and then maybe set it aside another few years. It's amazing how deep these things run. But I like you're saying um, uh, my my mind has certain habits and it needs something to do like a puppy. I said before, uh, I got to give it something to do. And so, you know, video game beats uh, an active addiction and even a, a cigarette addiction beats an alcohol addiction. You know, one of the things that, that drove my restless, irritable and discontent state of being at that point was all the emotion that I mentioned earlier. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to be better. I wanted to try to get well. And I thought the way to do it was also to improve everybody around me. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> when, when I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want, or I, or something I have is going to be taken away from me, that triggers, fear triggers for me all of these behaviors where I try to get everybody else to change to make me more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I can see that because, um, you know, I, at least for me, part of what's driving my addiction is the, the desire to feel okay in the world, you know, to feel comfortable. And, of course, that was largely invisible to me at least the depth to which it ran but part of um feeling okay in the world depends on who you're around you know that we we hear in the program to stick with the winners and things uh phrases along those lines that make it clear that it kind of matters who you are around and what's going on around you and so of course one approach that i can take is look at the people around me and try to get them to change. And a different approach is change the people who are around me. And that I've found to be, you know, healthier in general, but absolutely. It's that reaching out. It's that, it's almost like another rotating addiction. I'm going to get addicted to the idea of you doing what I think is the right thing to do. Yeah, and I fell into that trap because I was afraid. You know, the fear triggers, you know, what they call a hundred forms of fears trigger mm-hmm. these these bad behaviors. And, you know, I sat in judgment of other people and even to the point of, well, they're not working their program right because they're not working it the way that I was told I needed to do mine and, you know, um, picking on every little detail about everything around me. Um, you know, I would have to, I had this, what they call uh, analysis, uh, let's see, Analysis paralysis. Yes. You know, where before I could make any decision that was different than the ones I had made 
before recovery, I didn't trust that what I was being guided to do would make any difference or was the right thing to do. And so I would have to collect all the data. I would have to go ask all these people, well, how did it turn out for you? I would have to do the research on it. And then I would consider and weigh out carefully the facts and decide if I was going to do this or not. Yeah. Um, I am often like that. I'm I'm a great friend of data. I like to understand what's going on. Um, I think for some reason, though, in my recovery, especially in the beginning, and I suppose it's carried on, that uh, I was just willing to suit up and show up. And um, while I was not willing to do everything that was suggested or asked or, or indicated, um, I, I was kind of, for some reason, willing to go with the flow. Um, more so on that. But I know that uh, I, I definitely have regularly experienced that analysis paralysis. And I can even do that now, you know, if I'm if I have a project or, or something in mind that I want to accomplish. It's that same, you know, fear of the unknown. Well, I, I don't want to do this until I know what's going to happen when I do it. And that's not always possible. You know, I I suppose I balance that with my with my life of faith and my spiritual life, which is the completely the opposite. You know, I'm I I trust everything's going to be fine. So let me you know take a breath, look around, of course, and then take a step. Except when we're in charge, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way that works for me. Is at least in early recovery, it was very difficult to hand over who's in charge. Yeah. Um, you know, to my untrusting mind. And of course, that's why the first step in the 12-step program, is has it's nowhere near trust. It's about recognizing the bad decisions that we've made and what a, what a mess we've made because of those bad decisions. Yes. And I mean, it's, it's a couple steps farther before you ever get to talking about faith or trust or a different different way. But for me, I had to work my way through the willingness that you described to do something different. Yeah, to do something at all. And that, that for me is one of the tremendous benefits of the, of the community, you know, of, of the uh, groups in a recovery program is that I was surrounded by different ways of doing things that I could hear a little bit about here, a little bit there, um, and maybe even silently uh, decide to try something, you know, that seemed like it, it might not be that bad. But, Go ahead. So the question came up to me is that, okay, so now I'm clean and sober, and if I was making all these bad decisions because I was under the influence, why am I not making better decisions now? (laughs) Uh, That is a great question. You know, and one of the things that um, I think contributed for me, I mean, there's several things. One thing is culturation. You know, enculturation, who we grew up around and the belief systems that we acquired because of it, and that kind of thing drove some of that. But for me, an awful lot of it is driven by emotion. And for an example, I already talked about fear. I'll talk about helplessness. For me, feeling helpless, defined as I have—I don't believe I have a choice in this matter, um, puts an immense amount of pressure on me to do something. And when I feel pressured to do something in a short time frame, I, am, I very often make um, not the best decision that could be made in that, those circumstances. And not only do I not have confidence in that decision, it's often the wrong decision. Yeah, that's hard. I can definitely identify with that. I don't, I don't um, in general, I don't like 
working under pressure deadline i mean sometimes it can be motivating but you know if i don't if i don't feel like i've got kind of all the facts in front of me i can easily end up in that in that very same place so now that we n- know what these bad decisions are what kind of tool can we bring to bear to shift that so that we can as we set up new levels of joy and freedom Well, in Unity, we affirm that we have the power to make good choices, choices that support our highest good. And in fact, this ability to choose is one of Unity's 12 powers, and that is called the power of will. But the ability to make a good decision requires the power of wisdom. Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore defined 12 skills or attributes that all people have, and he called these attributes the 12 powers. That's what we're talking about. Each of them can function as a spiritual tool that we can use to change our lives for the better. So one of those 12 powers that can help us make better decisions is the power of wisdom. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. And so there's many different definitions and ways of thinking about that. Um, But one that I like is that wisdom is the gift of spiritual judgment, judging by the standards of a higher self rather than by the standards of the world. And we see this reflected, I think, in uh, the 12th tradition of the 12-step program when it talks about principles before personalities. Absolutely. I do think that that's what's reflected there. I'm glad that you pointed that out. And and that aspect of wisdom as a spiritual judgment is, is uh, part of what Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore um, described it as. He, he called it uh, in the book, The Revealing Word, the voice of God within as the source of our understanding. So that that inner guide I think, is what he's getting at there. And that when I hear that phrase, spiritual judgment, um, that's what I'm hearing there. And that that whole concept of turning within uh, in order to discern what may be the next right thing to do has been central for me, not only in my uh, sobriety, my recovery path, but more broadly in my spiritual growth path in general. You know, I think many of us, I know for me, um, centered in the intellect are pretty good at making lists and sorting things out and making decisions and being judgmental in the world because that's a skill we have to have. Is this safe? Is this unsafe? Is this good for me? Is this not good for me? You know, it's a skill we exercise all the time, but it was not something that I was used to exercising on a spiritual level because I didn't trust myself. I had low self-esteem, low self-confidence. I had not ever heard of a of a God within, a voice of God within, so I had no way to connect with or understand or know about this thing that could provide guidance for me and uh and so it it left me intellectually trying to figure out my life yeah i i can definitely uh relate to that that sounds like my experience and as a you know i am also a person who's idea oriented and uh, i think there's a lot of power in ideas uh, i'm glad today that that i can count that as one of my approaches one possibility one uh, tool that i can use um, among others but yeah i mean I, I was in the same boat not having any concept of um you know a spiritual presence within let alone that i could turn to for guidance that was foreign to me uh, to me i had to figure everything out everything was this kind of intellectual sorting out that we're uh, pointing out that the 
power of wisdom is not. Uh, Mr. Fillmore said that it, power of wisdom transcends intellectual knowledge. It, it's not a. It's not even a variation on. It is an entirely different level, if you will, a different beast, a whole different way to approach discernment. But like you, I would approach discernment um, through intellect and you know emotion too, of course, uh, of what felt what felt right. But but still, it was all in a thinking kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I missed it for years and years after I got into recovery, but there's a line in the recovery literature that says that deep within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. I missed the word within, and I kept looking without, and I looked for the guidance without, you know, uh, everywhere around me, and which is part of, I think, why I tried to rearrange the circumstances around me, because that's where I saw the source of power as. It wasn't until I met unity that I began to understand that that could also refer to the power within. Yeah, I think that's an extraordinarily powerful phrase that uh, I, I, I can easily see glossing over that as well. And unity was also the doorway that I walked through that introduced me to that that very concept, you know, even in in um, in biblical terms, the the Holy Spirit um, that is our experience of the presence of God within. And uh, to hear that, you know, in a, in a church environment, I'll never forget the first Unity Church that I walked into, and hearing the minister talking about some familiar-sounding things, you know, uh, talking some about the Bible, some about Jesus, but then some unfamiliar things, talking about principle, um, talking about he was bringing in some kind of Eastern ideas that I was unfamiliar with, but I was hooked on that, as, and I wanted to learn more. As uh, soon as I heard him saying something that, and this the phrase that came to mind, that it actually made sense. And I thought, where is he getting this? I need to hear more about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, another quote that says, the hunch becomes a working part of the mind. And that's mm. in one of the promises, and that was in one of, it was like the ninth or tenth promise in that list. And I was um, astounded that anything like that could ever happen. Because that was not my experience at that point. And I think that that also points to this, a working part of the mind, this this connection that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel very joyful when I hear you say that, that a hunch becomes a working part of the mind. Because it's absolutely a part of my daily experience now. When before, I, I felt very alone, like I had to figure everything out. Um, now it's more that I'm never alone. I always have something to turn to. That's right. So let's hold that thought right here because it's time for our break. And when we come back, we're going to open the lines for callers and we'll continue our conversation. The number is 816 251 3555. Listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's Eric Butterworth with a Unity Mindful Moment. Unfortunately, religions have tended to present themselves as institutions instead of perceptions, something you join instead of a transcendence that you experience. We've tended to believe that God works exclusively through the machinery of an institution. So it is self-evident that most persons believe that you go to church to get close to God. The fact is, if God is present in the church, God is also present in the theater. God is present, period, because God is an online presence, everywhere present. So you don't go to church to get close to God. But you go to church, perhaps, hopefully, to be challenged to dig within yourself and to find that consciousness of the presence that is with you wherever you go. So that wherever you go, wherever you are, God is. To pick up the Eric Butterworth book, Practical Metaphysics, go to unity.org and click on Shop. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. The ancient Chinese philosopher known as Lao Tzu brings us into the present moment with this quote. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, but not seeking, not expecting, is fully present and can welcome all things. When you're feeling impatient, think about this passage and trust in the moment. Healing ourselves, our communities, and the planet is the theme for this year's World Day of Prayer, September 13th at Unity World Headquarters at Unity Village. Join us live or participate virtually as we broadcast to Unity and New Thought communities around the world. The World Day of Prayer is a unique and inspirational event like no other. Enjoy music, prayer, and meditation as we commit to healing ourselves, our communities, and our world. Go to worlddayofprayer.org for more information. Stretch your mind and open your heart every Thursday at 10 a.m. Central with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Gain insights into spiritual principles that touch upon the most practical aspects of our lives, like work, relationships, health, and diet. Discover time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy for living a more fulfilled life in today's hectic world. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And if you're listening to us as a download or a live stream, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, uh, Unity. I'm sorry, Spirit of Recovery, and leave us comments, questions, or thoughts there that you'd like to share with us. 
So prior to the break, we were discussing good decisions that we make and bad decisions that we make, and how do we know the difference? So now that we know, Dan, that the challenges are dubious choices driven by fear, among other things, and that the solution is wisdom, how exactly do we use this wisdom to make choices where we have better outcomes? Well, the first thing that comes to mind as I consider that is something that you said in the first half of the show, which is that um, this doesn't happen overnight, right? We didn't create the situation that we were in overnight. And I've, I've heard it said, if you walk 10 miles into the woods, you got to walk 10 miles out of the woods. And so for me, one of the first things that I had to realize or that I did realize when I saw that things were changing and getting better, when this wisdom that is innate in each of us uh, started to show up some more, is that, um, you know, this is going to take a while. I had a good friend uh, in the program who had a a couple decades or more, and I remember, and this is probably in the first six months, I remember asking him, so you know, when when do you kind of get to stop doing this whole one day at a time thing? And he looked at me and smiled and said, I'm doing it today. And I understood what he meant. Like, oh, it, it doesn't, it's a way of being. It's not a goal. I think I was still kind of seeing it as a goal at that point. And such is the same with uh, using wisdom to make uh, wiser decisions. Um, it's not an end point. I don't think I'll ever hit a point of, you know, where I get a certificate that says, you know, you are now judged to be competent in using wisdom to make good decisions. It, it just kind of um, flows. But I, I always remember uh, a verse from the book of James in chapter one. It says, if you, if any of you, is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. That was a big clue for me, uh, you know, right in line with unity teachings about, about turning within, you know, turning to that presence of the divine. And, and part of asking myself, well, how do I use wisdom to make better decisions is the answer is almost for me. How often am I willing to turn within in any given situation and just see what happens. You know, and you reminded me, um, I, when I was first, when I was first trying to do this, when I first got in the program and was trying to turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power, and I was told to seek guidance, I had no clue about how to do that. And I've already mentioned I hadn't met unity yet. So I didn't know about this within thing. And I would, do one thing, and I would be going up and down the stairs or running around the house, and, and my prayer was, okay, now what? And I lived by myself at the time with my dog, and that's, that's I'd walk, that's about all I said half the day was, now yeah. what? Now what? <laughs> you know, now what? And I was seeking that uh, intuition or that hunch or that um, uh, feeling that, oh, that's the next thing I need to do, because like you mentioned, the one day at a time, sometimes I'm on the five-minute plan, yeah. and it's just do what I have to do right this minute and then seek guidance as to what the next step is. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see that, and as you described that, I can kind of feel that um, energy uh, as you say, you know, okay, what next? What next? You know, there's some tension in there that I, that I have experienced and can definitely um feel again 
you know, and identify with. And for me, part of part of it is uh, again. So, how do I use wisdom to make better decisions and bring more joy and freedom in my life? Uh, one answer is I slow down. Just by slowing down can help a lot. I, I learned uh, somewhere along the line that um, you know, and I still do this now. If I'm walking. Uh, down the sidewalk, say, and I have you know any sense of anxiety. You know, got to get there, got to get this done, or don't know what to do. What am I going to do? Got to get this. As soon as I realize that I'm doing that, I'll purposely walk much slower, even than a normal pace. And when I do that, I can feel a huge shift in in the in my experience at that time. So for me, that's one way of accessing uh, the wisdom that is available within that sort of wisdom of God is to make the decision just to slow down, even if only for a few minutes. You know, something seemingly little like that can really turn a situation around for me. You know, another thing that works really well for me is meditation. And I, I really don't like using that word with people when I talk to them because it means so many different things to so many different people. And people will say things, yeah, I tried that, you know, and but what they tr- and I was the same way. What I tried was based on somebody else's uh, relationship with their higher power, and it didn't work for me because that's not the relationship I had. And so um, I I don't know how many different types of meditation um, and activities related to meditation I tried before I found something that almost instantly connects me and gives me guidance. And that tool for me was heart math. That um, five-minute coherence exercise in which I focused on my breathing, focused on breathing in and out through my heart, and focused on a feeling of appreciation in my life. Those things brought it all together where I could come out of that and have a different answer than I would have ever arrived at intellectually. Yeah, I can see that because it sounds like what you're describing is that you really you just changed your whole perspective. You know, you changed the energy around whatever it was you were doing at the time. And I think that that is, um, you know, a wonderful outcome of what we call prayer and meditation. And like you, um, I, I think I definitely misunderstood uh, what this concept or word meditation really means. You know, I'd read a book about it. There's meditation for dummies. There's this and there's that. But all of those things are, um, I'm sure that they can all work, and I'm sure that they can all work for some people. But, you know, to read about it in a book is almost the opposite for me of what meditation is because it's so impersonal. Um, I think the upside of books like that is that I can perhaps try enough things that, like you just described, you kind of hit the thing that works, you know, that makes sense for you and works. Um, but I hit a lot of things that didn't work, and I had that same feeling like, oh, you know, I can't do that. That doesn't work for me for whatever reason. Maybe I'm not very good at it. Um, you know, maybe it's not right for me. I don't know. But what I've found that is so very simple and again, it's it's related to what I was saying a minute ago about slowing down. I mean, slowing down is almost uh, a meditation for me. I, I can also uh, very quickly uh, check in, uh, shift my energy, remember the presence of God, remember that presence with gratitude, um, 
but I, I don't know that it's a so much a formal process as a a habit that I've developed that starts with just the willingness to slow down. You know, slow down, take a breath, feel what it feels like right right here in this moment. Uh, within my body, right around me, what's going on, and just that that slowing down and being willing to take a breath. Uh, there's a passage in the big book that I'm not uh, recalling right now, where he he talks about just uh, you know relaxing and and the phrase just kick back for a while comes to my mind, and I think that that is kind of what uh, has worked for me. Well, I think that's a good point, this slow down part, because uh, it's very common that, that people get in recovery, and like myself, we have what's called frantic sobriety. We're running around not just trying to get well, but trying to make up for all the, the situations that we created in our lives and trying to get back on track, and, and maybe it took 20 or 30 years to get where we are now, but we want it fixed by next week. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that... And on top of that, there's the fear that drives us, there's the anxiety levels, there's the hypervigilance, there's all of these other underlying emotional um, things, turmoil, all kinds of stuff that until we are sober and clean a while and have worked on those particular things or the situations that those indicate, um, it's really difficult to, to do anything except slow down. You know, get keep our mind where our body is. I tell people, you got to keep the dog in the yard. You know, my brain is kind of like the dog. If I open the gate, it's gone. And, you know, I have to keep it kind of close to home and kind of focused on what it's supposed to be focusing on. Um, and that that was all I could do in the beginning. But one of the things that worked for me was... Um, well, two things. I had kind of a, an external process to move toward an internal process, and that was I would talk with other people. I'd call my sponsor or my other trusted friends and, and, and lay out a situation that I was looking for guidance on and, and say, I need a reality check. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I think I might do about this. And then I would kind of take a poll, really, um, in some ways, I might have been looking for the answer I wanted, but many times I was given the guidance to, well, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you pray about it? And then let's talk about it. Yeah, I think that, that um, reaching out to others is, is so powerful in so many ways, and that's a great example of one way that it is. And and for me, that's a way of slowing down. You know, if, if I feel like um, I need to decide something right now, uh, slowing down can be seen sort of as a delaying tactic. You know, I might, uh, the wisdom might show up in me with something as simple as, well, why don't I just set this aside for now and I'll take it up tomorrow and then I'll do, you know, whatever the thing is that I think I need to decide to do. Or, uh, as you're just sharing, you know, pick up the phone uh, or meet somebody and just talk to them. I find sometimes that just by saying it out loud helps me get it out of my head, you know, because if 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 what I'm concerned about, say, or faced with uh, is only exists in my head, uh, I find it can easily be um, outsized. It can be you know, seem a lot bigger than it is. I can be missing aspects of it and be completely unaware of it. But if I just talk to someone and explain it, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm thinking. Just like you said, here's what I'm thinking I might do. Just by doing that, 
um, brings some clarity that I think um, is an aspect of wisdom. And then, of course, I might uh, hear something helpful from the person, and that helpful thing might be, uh, I suggest you try this, or have you thought about that, or maybe you could pray about it. You know, and one of the things that happened to me is that I was, I think, about three years clean and sober. My sponsor said to me, when are you going to start thinking for yourself? Because I was still calling her saying, well, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And so I was still seeking wisdom from without me. I was still leaning on somebody else's higher power, and I was still leaning on somebody else's life experience to guide me. And it took a while for me to understand that the wisdom in the in the serenity prayer that it's talking about, the wisdom to know the difference is not that type of wisdom, somebody else's wisdom. It is more of the innate within me type of wisdom. And it is usually, for me, it usually shows up as a new idea, something I have never thought about before and a conclusion I would never have arrived at by myself. Yeah, I, I can, I've had that experience and I think that's a good description. And, and I found it, I found it hard to describe, you know, what, what does, what is wisdom exactly? Or when we talk about practical steps that we can take to use wisdom to make better decisions, I, I find that hard to approach. And it's kind of a wordless, to me, kind of a wordless experience. It, it's, it's not even a, um, an activity as much as an experience. And, and yeah, I might, do some activities, I might have some, you know, ritual around um, getting in touch with that wisdom within me. And the ritual could be as simple as closing my eyes and taking a breath, or it could be more elaborate, you know, if I've got a, a sitting meditation and I have a special chair I sit on and a special bell that I use and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what's what I have found is going on is is really does not lend itself to being described in words. And yeah, it, it does show up as a a perspective is what came to mind. You said a, a new idea, something that we may never have thought of otherwise. Uh, that's been my experience as well. And so that kind of, again, I think we're still under the umbrella of slowing down, uh, opening ourselves to new possibilities, and then uh, inevitably encountering new possibilities, uh, even though it, it could be hard to draw a line from one to another. And I, I don't know that I could ever explain you know, if someone who is very idea-oriented, like we were talking about, said, you know, exactly how does this work? Well, I can't tell you exactly how it works, but I could tell you some things that you could do that would help you experience it, and then you'll know. That's a really different way of doing something for me. It is. It is. And yet, in the way I'm thinking about it, the 12-step programs are exactly like that. We don't know how this works, but here's some suggested things you can do. And, you know, for me, this... Um this thing called wisdom, I can't get there from here. I have always been a person that had to have steps laid out for me. And you've already mentioned one of them, which is to slow down. And in that slowing down, for me, part of it is the HOW we've talked about in previous um previous broadcasts, you know, honesty, open-minded willingness. And the honesty piece is what's really going on with me right this minute. Awareness, 
Where am I? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Um, and that happens when I do this slow down piece. The um, open-mindedness is the space to allow a new idea to come into play. And the willingness, we've already talked about previously before the break, was just take some action, do some action. And so for me, I had somebody break down this serenity prayer that we, we were talking about. And you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Well, what can I not change? I cannot change anybody else. I can't change their behavior. I can't change their ideas, their attitudes, their emotions. I have no control. I am powerless. Oh, okay. I got that. So when I would do this slow down thing and become aware that I was all tied up with everything else that's going on, and I would say a serenity prayer, that was one of the first ones that I used on a regular basis in my newfound sobriety was, um, okay, I would I would walk through it that way, you know, uh, the courage to change the things I can. What can I change? Oh, if it's about me, I can change it. My thinking my behavior, my emotions, my attitudes, the ideas I hold in in mind. So I had to become aware of what were those things. What was I thinking? What was I doing? What was my behavior? What were my emotions at that moment? And what kind of an attitude was I carrying around with me? And so then I could sort things into two buckets. I knew what to do with them. And that, for me, was the external wisdom to know the difference. It still did not feel like an innate hunch or knowingness but it was the way that i got to that point yeah i think it is wisdom i think you are describing um basically implementing that that very um action that's indicated in the serenity prayer you are um i hear you slowing down and pausing and inquiring within you know what what can i change what can't i change what is what is the nature of things that i can change so that and and what's the nature of things i can't so that we can begin to more uh, easily or more quickly differentiate the two and and i love that uh, the the how acronym cuz i mean that's what we're asking right now is how can we use wisdom to make better decisions and and have a better life experience uh, and and what i'm hearing as you describe that is that how that how is really in a sense it's wisdom in action that that right there is perhaps a a formula if you will for uh using what we call wisdom to change our lives is by doing that thing asking uh am i being honest uh, could i be more honest am i open to new ideas am i willing to change or to take action i think that that uh, could be described as wisdom in action and so, you know, saying this serenity prayer over and over and then dissecting it like that got me started on a path. And that path, um, as I think I mentioned earlier, was I was, I was headed toward this one promise in the 12-step in the promises that I wanted very badly. And it says we will intuitively know how to handle things that used to baffle us. Mm. And I can remember being confused about things, lots of different things, and I can't think of a really good example at the moment. And other people that had more years of, of program work than I had at that time, would ha- would say, oh, well, here's the answer. They already knew intuitively how to handle these things that continued to baffle me. And so I was looking for this wisdom, and I think that's what that one points to. 
And so, you know, I had to, when I entered um, a Unity Church and began working on these things from an internal perspective, I started using the, the 12 powers as part of the perspective for that. And one of the ways that I had to focus on that is... Um, for wisdom, I'm good in the in the material world about sorting things into categories, making judgments, as I mentioned earlier, good and bad, etc. But I was not so good about seeing where I was with that. And so to, I had the, the 12 powers class where I was working on this power of wisdom. And what I had to do was, as I already mentioned, become aware of what my thoughts were. And then I had to become aware of what the belief system underneath that was and how many times a day I would have the same reoccurring thought that was, as it turns out, to be error thought. It was not a thought that was supportive or nurturing or helpful to my life. It was something that I drug in from my past and was still carrying around. And then I had to consciously make a choice that I was going to change my perspective and my language around that. And that can be anything. It could be, I can't afford that right now. It can be, you know, that's an old thought for me. You know, I have everything I need right now. I don't need this, this minute. You know, if I need it, the money will appear. Um, I had to change the direction of my uh, thinking there. And in some ways, that means I started to gain some faith that I could use to start turning my thought. Yeah, that's a very different approach i love that example that you just gave of of saying to ourselves i can't afford that or i can't afford that right now um versus i have what i need that's a completely different approach to the same situation and uh i can see how you know by making by encountering or realizing that you you have the ability to do that. And then by choosing to do it and changing our language around something, particularly around the most grievous things, you know, I don't get too wrapped up in uh, worrying about the particulars of my language around uh, seemingly smaller mundane things. Uh, but when it's, you know, directly linked to my prosperity consciousness, uh, my self-esteem, uh, my God concept, etc., I think it's really important to examine, you know, what, what is it that I'm saying? And I love that example that you gave of a, of a great way to do it. And as you say that, I'm, I'm just hearing how present you are as you describe that process and describe that experience and what you did at that time. And this is reminding me that I can't experience wisdom if I'm if my head's not right here. If I can't keep my head where my feet are, as we say, then wisdom is elusive to me. That's true. And so, you know, um, I, I think that that really speaks to the action piece of this step. Um, you know, and our fifth principle talks about how it's not enough to know the truth. We have to live the truth. Yeah, and, so, and that means we need to take action in order to grow and recover. So let's talk about something simple that someone could do this week to use the power of wisdom to make better decisions. So what somebody could do is think of whatever it is that is the worst bothersome thing to them. They can think of what they need to make a decision on, and they're not sure about what to do. And it could be related to their job or relationship or health or prosperity, but just pick something that comes to mind. 
I'd say pick a simple thing to start with and take it into a quiet time like we've been talking about. Just simply relax and take it easy. Don't need to struggle. Uh, we could, for an example, use thinking about changing jobs. Changing jobs might be complicated. Thinking about changing jobs, that's a simple thing. That's true. And so, you know, we, we believe in the denials and affirmations uh, in unity. And so we we want to deny the power of any past mistakes instead of thinking things like, oh, I never can keep a job and things like that. We, we, we deny the power of that, that there's no negative outcome. And we might say something like, mistakes I've made in the past have no power over me. And you might repeat that a few times in your head or, or say it aloud even and with conviction. Mistakes of the past have no power over me. Now, of course, you can make up whatever denial you want to that does the same, has the same effect. Yeah, and we would follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. For example, we could say, the wisdom of God is alive in me. I make healthy choices with confidence and ease. And again, with that, repeat it a few times in your, in your head or out loud. And I think what's really important then is to take a few moments just to relax and breathe, just to take it easy and sit with it. You know, we don't have to struggle with this. And we give thanks for our new experience in the world and move on with our day. We, we do this experience and we let it go. Mistakes of the past have no power over me. The wisdom of God is alive in me. So I think that's a good place to bring this show to a close as we're come to the end of our time today. So we hope you found something helpful for you in your journey, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you, Reverend Dan, for the insights that we've discussed today. And if you'd like, you can connect with us on Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.